0: Hello, welcome to our fortnightly podcast. This is Jim Gentile with John Heights, but unfortunately without our friend Peggy Bennett this week who chose to go to the Alps instead of joining us. And since we haven't had much success with trans-European podcasting, Peggy sends her best. And we do hope that her legal troubles will clear up sufficiently so she's able to return <laughs> to the United States for our next fortnightly podcast. Hi, John.
1: Hi, Jim. How are you doing?
0: And our guest today is my youngest son, William Gentili, who has been a previous podcast guest. He joins us live, blurry from lack of sleep, from Los Angeles, California where it is presently 6.15 a.m., and he is in Los Angeles because he is attending for, I believe, the fourth time in his life, the Turner Classic Movie Festival. Is that right, Will? Is this your fourth time going to it? That is correct. So tell the tens of people listening to this podcast who don't know what it is, what is the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival?
2: The Turner Classic Film Festival is the annual festival held in Hollywood sponsored by Turner Classic Movies, the classic film channel that many people, uh, if you want to see an uncut, commercial-free film, that is from like the that's where to go. essentially the classical Hollywood era, that's the go-to channel to do so.
0: And so you uh, are under 30... And are uh, <laughs> a big fan of classic movies, right? I
2: am. Yeah, defend yourself.
0: And how did you get into classic movies?
2: Well, I think partly was the help of my parents, <laughs> meaning, i.e. you and mom. But I think it really like kicked up a notch when I was in college. What did your parents do to introduce you, or to maybe not introduce you, to lure you into this world? Well, I guess hearing... My dad pontificate about certain double features that were necessary to function as a human being was certainly a uh, factor.
0: <laughs> Do you remember any of those particular uh-huh. double features?
2: Well, of course, there was the it was ne- the Stanley Kramer double feature of Inherent the Wind and Judgment at Nuremberg, which would oh, be that's a,
0: about six hours, yeah. by the way.
2: There was also the – I've
0: actually done these. These are ones I've actually done in a movie theater in my
2: life. uh, If I remember the local biograph in D.C., the time
0: actually that one I believe is at the old Circle Theater in D.C. But the Biograph is also a, was a repertory theater for many years in D.C. Will
2: how would how
1: would your father bring up these double features or how how would this be introduced in the
2: in the, like in the course of normal parenting? Yeah, uh, I mean it may have been that like, I'm not
0: the... sure normal parenting would apply in any respect to these conversations, but. <laughs>
2: The movie may have been on itself, one of the movies, like Inherent, that went on, and he would just be like, well, the proper way to see this film would be <laughs> Judgment at Nuremberg. Or if it was Gimme Shelter, you would have to see Woodstock first and then see Gimme Shelter. Of course. To get the of
0: course, you have to see Woodstock first because Woodstock sets the frame for Gimme Shelter, of course, yes.
2: And then it... Culminates with the the end of the era, so to speak, as as Jim likes to say.
1: When did you go through your? Did you go through your teenage rebellious years? where you like rejected the double
2: feature? No, it's not that I reject. I, there's certain movies like I would argue about that. That is one thing about our the family is that we we do like to get into heated discussions about any subject, but movies in particular. It's
0: impossible. No one who has listened to this podcast would believe that about me. <laughs>
2: So my rebellion would be against certain um, canical films Specific that opinions. my dad would suggest are canical, and I would be like, well, what about this film?
0: Canonical, you mean, right? And you
2: won? I would, I would, I would argue like s- certain films that I've seen at this festival, my dad would be like, well, the status quo <laughs> would have you believe that this is a great film, but I'll tell you why it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and you caught
1: yourself eventually siding with the status quo on occasion.
2: Right. I have similar tastes, but I also branch out and feel that, yeah, this is a good movie. I don't know what he's talking about.
0: So you think for yourself.
2: (laughs) I, I think so. From time to time, I do.
0: I think you should think for yourself all the time, but...
1: Well, so will when did you? So okay, so give me a give me a handle on just your overall movie because I know you're also a movie maker, an right. aspiring movie maker, and an actual movie maker. But am tell me a little bit about your like actual movie watching habits. What percentage of movies that you watch now
2: are old movies? I you know that's that's a great question. I mean, I would say ultimately it's like seventy percent of the movies I watch are from an older era.
0: But that's including movies you're watching at home, right? It'd be, it'd be not right. 70% that you like, go to the theaters. That's fine.
2: If, fortunately, I have that channel, and I'm able to watch it, and I <laughs> I consume it. Like, that's the first, it's like the go-to movie to turn on, okay, what's on TCM right now? So is it most of the time when you're watching uh, stuff on TCM, is it stuff you haven't seen before? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always funny to discover, like, even, like, a cheesy movie from the 50s on that channel just to see, like, like, for example, I was just flipping the channels like before I left to go to California, and then I turned it on TCM, and I watched a little bit of this movie from this, actually the uh, 1940 called The Bank Dick with W.C. Fields. Oh, that's the not a cheesy
0: movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. It means he's a plays a guard in a bank. Right,
2: and I had actually never seen the film, so I just ended up watching a, a lot of it. It was enjoyable to see that uh, kind of film, and you see, like,
0: had you ever seen W. C. Fields before? I'd never seen a film by him. No. Yeah, W. C. Fields plays always plays this very curmudgeonly character. I've never seen
1: any W. C. Fields. I know of him. Uh, and well, that's if it. you
0: get a chance, the you could see the bank dick or my little chickadee. Or man on the flying trapeze, or probably three of his uh, more notable films. My little chickadee is with uh, Mae West, by the way.
1: Well, let me finish the thought with Will, though. I just want to get so. All right, so you're, you're, the percentage of movies that you watch these days in a
2: theater—how many of them are old? Oh, uh, that's that's a little different. I would say that I I generally watch the more uh, the newer run, first run indie or you know Hollywood fare probably majority in the theater, but there's still a percentage, a good percentage of movies that I do watch that are repertory or classic films or from the the past.
0: From the canon. But part of the problem is, John, is even in New York City...
2: That's what I was going to bring up.
0: ...where there still is repertory cinema, it's much less than it used to be.
1: I don't know what repertory cinema is.
0: Repertory cinema means it's not showing new movies. It's showing old movies. Got it. In the theater. In DC, the only place that shows repertory cinema on a consistent basis is the AFI Silver, which, first of all, doesn't exclusively show repertory cinema. They always show at least some new films, but they do show some repertory cinema. And it's the only place that does it exclusively or that, you know, there's always some repertory cinema going on. And it's a subsidized place. Part of the problem is that when I was in college – a hundred years ago, people went to the theaters to see those films. Now, uh, people stream them or or get a DVD of them. But the the problem is that the streaming services actually don't, at this point, have a lot of the old. They have some. They've cherry-picked a few, but they don't really have a full selection of older films in the streaming service.
2: Yeah, and uh, actually to that point, um, at this year's festival, they've been really... Uh, TCM has been pushing their actual own streaming service they have in partnership with uh, the Criterion Collection, which is this um, company that specializes in uh, producing DVD of classy or art house f- films from essentially yesteryear that they used now to stream a lot of these movies
1: so Will are you watching these old movies as a form of nostalgia or are you watching them to inform your production your film your art making
2: I think it's a bit of a, uh, both uh, I think having the opportunity I personally I also um, work part time in the in the city in New York for Film Forum which is the one one of uh, a couple a number of um, Places in New York that you can watch these films on the, uh, on a bigger screen, and I do it a lot for the most part to for my further edification of like techniques and to see what essentially was the preamble to all these movies because I feel the thing about film is it's very um, even the newer films that you see there's there's a dialogue between those films and influences and past filmmakers. There, There's there's no, it's all intertextual. There's always Everything a is derivative. There's always an homage. There's always an allusion to a prior story or a prior image that you've seen before, but with its own interpretation.
0: So let's talk about this year. So the film festival started on Thursday, correct?
2: Correct. That was day one.
0: And you went out to L.A.?
2: I've actually been out here since Sunday.
0: Okay, so what have you been doing besides going to the film festival?
2: So, yeah, that was actually cool on this trip. As opposed to just being out here for the festival, I was able to um, enjoy the the sound, sights and sounds of Los Angeles. And I'm currently now doing this podcast o- overlooking uh, a gorgeous view of like the foothills and paths of California right now and i was that was basically what i was able to do drive around in a car and see all the hubbub about driving in la so and i visited you know the observatory did some other touristy stuff as well but the main thing was i got to drive around la
0: so let me ask the peggy question what famous people have you seen and did you get to go to any celebrity parties <laughs> while you were there well I, unfortunately that's the peggy um, question
2: Tarantino ha- withheld his invitation to his party this year, I guess. But
0: uh, does Tarantino have a party during the festival? I'm kidding. I don't, oh, I don't know up. if he does. Okay, he probably does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, I saw some thing. Is I, having seen a litany of films, recognize these people, know them by name. I'm I'm kind of my own personal IMDb in regards to many film actors and actresses. But these people people are not, like... Our poor audience won't recognize... You're right. they are more character actors there. For example, I... Like, for example... I had a a lunch with an actual uh, family friend, Alex Berger, who's been on this podcast. He's been on the podcast? um, Recently. um, In Burbank, which was cool. And I saw some... I ca- saw a couple actors. One was uh, Gil Bellows, who's a character actor. Sure, Gil really Bellows. Famous sure. for uh, being the young man in Shawshank Redemption. Spoiler alert. Also was on, right, on Ally McBeal. he right, was on Ally McBeal and other shows.
0: That's probably more famous for being on Allie. I think McBeal.
2: he's more famous for Shawshank Redemption because that's, yeah, well. at this point, a very ubiquitous film that's shown on television all the time.
0: Yeah, I think Allen McBeal was pretty popular. All right, we can argue about that. But, but guy that else, wasn't at the
1: festival. That was just at lunch in Burbank, right?
0: yeah. Well, who have you seen at the festival? John's raising oh, okay. a good okay. Sorry. Well, we're moving on.
1: <laughs> well, no, no, no. Wait. Before you before we move on, before we move on, I, can you give me this the rudiments? Because I looked online at the festival and I don't quite get it. Is it all at one theater or is it at scattered
2: theaters around Hollywood? Where, where exactly is it? It's all centered in Hollywood. It's all basically on Hollywood Boulevard. But it's at the Grauman's Chinese Theater, which uh, has a new name these days, but it's Essentially, the Grauman's Chinese and the Egyptian theater uh, are the two and main...
0: And they are two classical, old-style, single-screen, big theaters. Right. These are like movie palaces from the 20s.
2: I think I've been to a party at one of those. These were like the cathedrals that the film industry would build to showcase the premieres of their, their products.
0: And, and Grauman's Chinese Theater, perhaps the single most famous movie theater in the world, because in front of it... Right. The the concrete has foot have foot imprints of famous movie stars. That's one of the big famous yeah, yeah, and uh
2: actually um this year they actually had a handprint ceremony for a classic film star or actress by the name of Cicely
0: Tyson. Oh sure, Cicely Tyson. Absolutely. She must be eighty five years old. She's yeah, she's up there.
2: But still going strong.
0: Cicely Tyson probably was nominated for Academy Award in 1972 for the film Sounder.
2: Which they uh, showed uh, afterwards at the festival.
1: So, Will, you basically go there in the morning, drive there, park, and then you just walk around. Actually, I don't have the car and anymore, go to so Ubering. I'm Ubering everywhere these days. Oh, whatever. But my point is you go there and you're walking, and you don't need to drive around between. Well, the Well, it's events. all very close. Yeah, it's all, it's like all walkable. It's like all within ease. Okay, I get it.
0: And it's headquartered at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood is where the head
2: that has its own h- historical significance too to the idea of classic film because that is actually the f- first venue for the academy awards the first annual academy awards was at the were held in the uh room where actually club t c m is established so in the like I don't remember the name of the room, but the, that's actually where they had the first annual Academy Awards ceremony.
1: Okay. Give me a handle. So they start showing films at, like, 8 in the morning, and they it goes, show, like, all they day? Start or showing, or it start at, like uh, in the 9 o'clock?
2: So the first night is actually, like, they have the, open ga- uh, the opening gala film and then a couple other films that night. But then day two is where you go all Friday. day. Friday. It really
0: starts on Friday. Really,
2: Friday is where it's the all-day... Buckle in. You're going to be in a darkened room for you know, twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> Got it.
0: So, how many movies have you seen? Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday so far. I've seen uh, ten films so far since Thursday. Since Thursday evening, I've seen ten, right? And that started Thursday evening, correct?
2: Yeah, and I can rattle them off in order. I believe. All right. Uh, the first film I saw was Detour. Second film I saw was uh, Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood.
0: Okay his version of Macbeth. The
2: third film I saw was Jillian Armstrong's My Brilliant Career.
0: With Jillian Armstrong was there in person, correct, for that one?
2: Correct. Yes. And uh, I saw then uh, Robert Wise's The Setup, a noir from the 1940s. And then I saw uh, Melvin Van Peebles' uh, film Sweet Sweetback Badass Song. Wow, and then I uh, and Melvin Van Peebles Melvin there was Van Van Peebles there for that and as well. His son Mario Van Peebles, who's also a filmmaker, was in person to talk and discuss before the film was shown. Who's in his forties, fifties?
0: Mario Van Peebles is probably in his fifties. Melvin Van Peebles must be like ninety years yeah. old. Yeah,
2: and then uh, the the film I saw after that was Leave It to Heaven, a nineteen forties film with Jean Tierney.
0: Leave her to heaven. I think you mean leave her to heaven.
2: Leave Her to Heaven, sorry. Jean
0: Tierney, Cornell Wilde, Van Heflin, Which
2: I believe was her only uh, Oscar nomination.
0: Could very well be. It, the, the thing about Leave Her to Heaven, is, which probably most notable, is it's a it's a sort of 1940s tearjerker about the, this woman uh, and two men and so forth and so on. But it's uh, it's got some amazing color cinematography.
2: Yeah. What's great about this festival is uh, certain number of the films i was able to see have been on 35 millimeter which um because of the the industry today is not the standard thing that film is now even shot on
0: anymore well most film now that you see in a the theater is shown digitally right correct
2: by you know having these festivals it's a way to able to see certain films in on their original format or how they, they the to be They dust off the old
1: the old 35-millimeter camera or, pr- or projector and pull it out and, and install it because it's probably not there the rest right. of the year.
0: Well, some theaters still have 35-millimeter. Uh, these theaters probably do.
2: What was crazy about Lever to Heaven, it was on a nitrate print. It was a Technicolor nitrate print.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: What does that do for you? Of the film. That's really That's old. That's really old because uh, they stopped making oh. those in the 50s because of the...
0: Because nitrate is very flammable, it's very explosive. So that explosively was,
2: uh, that was uh, an experience in and of itself.
1: Are are the is, are the theaters full during all these produ- these shows, or are they, is it like you know scattered seating?
2: What do you mean? I mean, is it are they sold out? So that was actually a thing this year. It seems this for just in my view, uh, this year has not been in terms of people coming as well as busy. Really? Yeah. What do you think that's due to?
0: I've gone a couple of times, and there were certain films that you couldn't get into if you didn't get in line early enough. That hasn't been your experience
2: this year. I found that, except for one, because I didn't make it in the morning on Friday, I wasn't able to see because it was, like, full up at 9 a.m. Other than that, I've had no real issue... Seen a movie that I wanted to see.
0: So you think attendance in general might be down yeah. a little?
2: Bit? Uh, I think yeah, and, and
0: that's kind of unfortunate.
2: But de- but you didn't buy tickets in advance for any
1: of the for any of the shows. Oh, you
0: buy you buy a pass for the one whole of the thing. Passes
1: got to see. it.
2: So one of the main highlights of the festival this year, which un- unfortunately because I did not have the pass to see this event occur, was the opening night film was The Producers with. Mel Brooks uh, in person. Yeah, sure. Which I've cool. actually never seen the full movie. And they also had a uh, ceremony to present the first ever Robert Osborne Award. Robert Osborne uh, is the late film historian who was the first host and basically the voice and uh, face of the network for the first you know, 20 years of, of the network. And they were giving, uh, bestowing an award in his honor to Martin Scorsese. I saw that on YouTube and on New York now Times. Now we
0: we we interrupted you on your your thing of of movies you were seeing.
2: The the first night I finished it up with Leave Her. Or, uh, the first second day of the festival was Leave Her to Heaven. Was what I finished up with. Then yesterday, which was day three, I saw um, first His Girl Friday. Oh,
1: I love that movie. Oh, classic love 1940 it. Comedy yes. of Remarriage. Have you seen it on a big I, screen, I saw it in college. I took a class on the Comedy of Remarriage at the University of Illinois in 1987 or something.
2: Oh,
0: that sounds good.
2: Yeah, so I saw that. Then I saw, uh, for the first time ever, uh, on the big screen. And in just general, I saw Bullet.
0: Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me.
2: The host of the thing was like, "If you, how can you consider yourself a film fan if you haven't seen this movie yet? So
0: Now, Bullet, this is the 50th anniversary. Correct. Bullet came out in 1968. John, have you ever seen that? No. Okay, Bullet is a Steve McQueen film where he plays a sort of, a, he plays a cop, but a sort of anti-establishment cop. It's most notable – it's a pretty good movie, but it's most notable because it has the – it has a car chase in it, which is the ur text for all car chases ever since. In other words, if you look at films before Bullet, car chases were fairly static affairs. You had the two cars – Bullet changed what a car ch- chase was, and all car chases since start with the DNA of the car chase in Bullet.
2: Well, that's funny that you say that, actually, because I I saw I, you know, and I agree with that totally. That is like the car chase of cinema. Like, if you want to talk about car chase, you talk about Bullet. But in the movie The Bank Dick, which I saw at W C Fields before I came out here, there's actually also another kind of zany car chase in that film. Yeah, but. I guess the way, although, but that's a totally yeah, diff- it's a totally, but different it's
0: not the sort of car the car chase you see now in an action film.
2: Bullet is basically the standard at which films now with car chases or chase sequences would be held to.
0: Right, Bullet was like the first film, I believe, where they actually used cameras on the dashboard. Yeah, you know, of the cars themselves, while the car chase was going on, which is you know now de rigueur.
1: Well, were they using green screens
0: or no, whatever? No, this is and all practical it or effects. It or it this is
2: all non-CGI. This is all stunt drivers involved and basically just closed roads.
0: All right. And in fact, Steve McQueen did his own stunts, no? No. For this? Did it? For for that is not. He a, did not. That is it. a myth.
2: Uh, the stunt driver, I believe, was by a uh, man by the name of Bill Hickman, okay. who was also involved in three of the most famous car chase sequences in film history. He was also the guy in... French Connection.
0: French Connection is another famous film. And
2: one. the film Seven
0: Ups. Seven Ups, which was the sequel to the French Connection.
2: Alright, so after Bullet, what'd you see? So after Bullet I took a I took a break <laughs> and then I <laughs> <laughs> had a double espresso. Yeah, had a double espresso. No, oh, you went to a barbecue. I right? went to a barbecue and uh yeah, for someone I knew who lives out here.
0: Who was that? Who was hosting?
2: This girl Nora, who actually went to the new school where John went.
0: Oh, it
1: wasn't related to the festival. It was just the no, bar. Was in uh, LA. you know
2: because when in Rome, you know, go
1: yeah, out sure, to a no, hey, LA. I'm pro. I'm pro L A. parties. There's nothing. No problem. Plus, with that.
0: you know, it's L A. so you're outside. The weather is I fantastic. I the opportunity
2: so. to go see Sunset Boulevard because I had seen it on the big screen. But I, I, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. I'm thinking to myself, I love that movie. I would have seen it again. But
0: but you went to the barbecue and you hung out. Was that fun? Yeah,
2: that was that was fun. And then what? So then after that after I went I went for a couple hours mingled and then I went to see this movie from the 1950s by Samuel Fuller called Park
0: Row. I've never seen that,
2: which was introduced by the American independent filmmaker John Sayles.
0: Oh, famously John Sayles. John Sayles did Matewan, Return of the Secaucus 7, oh, right. Brother from yeah, Another yeah. Planet. I've
1: seen all those. Uh Eight Men Out. Eight Men Out. So every film is introduced by someone, like yeah, a human. Yeah, generally they, they try to have either... <laughs> no, they have robots for
2: some of them. <laughs> Animatronic, Disney-like robots. Generally they try to have either someone who's in some way has a relationship to the film, or they have someone who, for their own sake, has a relationship like or a personal attachment to that film for a variety of reasons. So, for example, unfortunately, uh, she she had a family emergency but they were going to have Jacqueline Bisset for Bullet talk about being in the film
0: Jacqueline Bisset the actress who was uh, the female lead in Bullet. wow
2: dad mentioned earlier they had Jillian Armstrong talk about her you know making of my brilliant career they've had uh, Melvin Ben people's talk about making sweet sweetback badass song
0: All right. Well, let's talk about. Well, wait a minute. Finish up the rest of the movie. What else you saw last night? Let's talk about Park
2: Row, which is uh, essentially like a period piece set along the this infamous street in Manhattan. Which actually, because I went to Pace University, I was able to take classes on Park Row and in buildings that were actually former newspaper. Establishments. So the film is about the hustle and bustle of Park Row when it was the, the mecca of New York City newspaper era. So like uh, from the late 19th century, it's basically, uh, as um, John Sayles described it, it's like he said it was the, the Citizen Kane made on butcher paper. So it's kind of more of a smaller scale look at newspaper business. And it's kind of like a love letter to that. What's your takeaway from it? It's interesting. So the, a little bit of background of the film. Apparently it was uh, independently made outside of the studio system, which was rare in those days because it was, I believe the film came out in 1952. So most movies that are independent like like that do not, for that era is very rare thing. It wasn't on until like the late 50s to early 60s that those kind of movies were really being made. So it's basically um, kind of this hard-boiled story because it's made by Samuel Fuller, who's known more of a kind... He's kind of like a... If you had to describe him, he's more of a kind of like your macho kind of filmmaker from that era. He made movies like Steel Helmet and Pick Up on South Street, which is famous for like having this like uh, fight with uh, the lead actor Richard Widmark and another character just duking it out, like, brutally in a hotel room.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a kind of, like, ode to his own background because I learned this from, actually, John Sayles that when Samuel Fuller was starting out, he was actually, like, a young newspaper reporter is, was his original background before he started making films.
0: Yeah, what was the next film you saw after Park Row? Oh,
2: the next film I saw um, was... I finished the night off with The Big Lebowski... Oh, oh wow! They did a twentieth well, anniversary not a classic with uh, Jeff Bridges. Had you
0: ever seen that on? Uh, well, it is now. It's twenty years.
2: Yep.
1: Wait, that's considered a
0: classic? That feels like
1: it's modern years compared old, to this other John? stuff.
0: Wow. John, it's twenty years old. That's crazy. Well, you're getting old, my friend.
2: Uh they had Jeff Bridges. in I don't think it's a classic,
0: but yeah, it, that's not a classic. You'd never one. seen that on the big screen before. I had right? never seen that on the big screen. So and Jeff was, Bridges was
2: there. Was in attendance. Yeah. Cool. And he actually stayed for the most part to watch. So you're
0: so you're you're not only
1: you're not only half the age of the the other people there You're a third of the age <laughs> Yeah of most I'm, of the people I skew I, uh, I, No skew they're not young.
0: 90 years old John You've said
1: 90 pretty... at least twice so far on this podcast Well
0: I mean uh, two of the particular special guests <laughs> Cicely Dyson And I'm Melvin Van Peebles are very old But the pe- the attendees are what They're mostly in their 50s, 60s Yeah right? I would I would say
2: the, the median
0: age would be 65
1: Yeah so he's pushing He's pushing a third the well, age Well he's almost 30 <laughs> No you're not. I'm pushing
0: 65 yes he is. <sighs> all
1: right so all right yeah all right well I have a bunch of questions so Jim what's your question?
0: Well first of all what are you going to see later today?
2: So my plan I bet is it's so over we just to run through. This is actually No no, he's got oh, no it's more time. it's oh it's, it's Sunday morning. Yeah, oh, sadly yeah. this is the final day of the festival.
0: So what's on tap for you to watch
2: this morning at 9:15 or so I'm going planning on watching uh, Once Upon a Time in the West.
0: Oh the classic Sergio Leone. Correct which I've never seen with
2: Henry, starring Henry Fonda.
0: Never seen it on the big screen, yeah. Sergio Leone's famous for doing what they, starting what they called the Spaghetti Westerns, probably the most famous of which is the good, the bad, and the ugly. He, he originally started and and got Clint Eastwood, who at the time was an t- American TV star, to be the star of these Spaghetti Westerns, and it really made or, or initiated film, Clint Eastwood's um, film career back in the 60s. Yeah. So
2: uh, this is actually interesting because it takes Henry Fonda, who has a very certain iconic film image in his own right, and kind of, um, in a way, flips the script on that.
0: Right. He plays the bad guy. All right, what else? What else?
2: I'm also planning, I actually have my app here, my TCM Film Festival app, to sort out my schedule. And I'm... Planning on seeing today besides Once Upon a Time in the West, places in the heart probably at twelve thirty.
0: Okay, Sally Field's second Oscar, the one for which she made her infamous Oscar speech. You really, really like me,
2: right? And she and Robert Benton will be in person for that.
0: Wow, Sally Field.
2: I'm trying to decide between either Hamlet or Bull Durham at the three o'clock. Four which o'clock, version of Hamlet? I've never seen Hamlet. Which version? It's of the Hamlet? it's the Olivier, the Lawrence Olivier version of that.
0: Okay, well, the forty eight version. That's good. Bull Durham, you've seen the best film. And how version is Bull of Durham? is the nineteen sixty nine. Bull Durham is thirty years He's old. Thirty years old, John. <laughs> Wait, but
1: what's the what's the rule? I guess I just want not understand. What's the standard yeah, what, for getting you're, into you're, this?
2: You're, thing. you're you're arguing. What's the criteria? Correct. I'm just asking what the criteria is. It's all. I think that is. To its point, yes, certainly, as time has passed on the film, but I feel like I think if you want to talk about a movie about sports or in particular baseball, you you name a couple movies, and the one that probably sticks out the most to a lot of people is Bull Durham.
0: That's probably true. That's fair. Yeah, for sure. But but doesn't Turner Classic Movie generally, as a rule of thumb, they don't show movies that are less than, say, twenty years old, right? Right. On the
2: on the channel, you will rarely see a movie made after, honestly, nineteen eighty.
0: But it's a moving target because as it as time moves by. You know, it's basically about a twenty-year rule. It seems to me, right? I don't know if that's a well. That's my
1: question. I thought that I thought that the channel had a certain, uh, like, what do they call it? Like a room full, of, a set of movies that they bought or owned. Right. And they I do. I thought that was kind
0: of it. No. So
1: they're still, but the, but but I, but if it's a moving target, that suggests they're still buying more. They're still acquiring more. Or they're,
0: or they're acquiring the rights. When you say buying, it really means acquiring the rights to show them on television. That's really right.
1: So, there, so so I didn't realize That channel has actually Films from the last About tw- over just 20 years Yeah actually so That's, some, okay. some of that's my, much more recent Than I realized
0: Well but I mean When's the last time You watched it If you watched it 20 years ago The oldest films They would have been showing Were from the 70s But right, now it's right. like
2: Sure 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 When they show films From the 70s It's kind of like The, the nights I like to watch it Because that's
0: That's the real golden age Of Hollywood As we all know so. <laughs> Right
2: Is that what you think Will? I love the 70s, and I agree that there's a lot of great things about it, but I don't know if that's—I would only say that's the the real golden age of Hollywood because I feel like the golden age of Hollywood, that's actually traditionally the golden age of Hollywood. Without that, we don't get the 70s filmmakers. So it's kind of a notion that, yeah, that's when true cinema was born. It's stupid.
0: It's out of the 1970s. The current Hollywood that we have today was born— And there was an interstitial period, which more or less covered the 70s, where the old Hollywood had definitively died and the new Hollywood was being born but was not yet born. And it was in that space of more or less 10 years. There were some very interesting things done because the studios hadn't quite figured out – what they were going to be about, which turns out that they're mostly going to be about doing blockbuster franchise films. But they hadn't figured that out yet. And the 70s helped them figure it out because Star Wars was the first of the blockbuster franchise films. And that came out in 1977. But before that came out, they didn't know what it was.
2: Jaws as well.
0: Well, Jaws was the first blockbuster. Well, that's not sort of true, but not completely true. But Star Wars was the first franchise. Jaws didn't really, didn't turn, I mean, there were other Jaws films, but they're not really the same franchise in the same way that Star Wars is, and that, you know, films now we think of routinely, like the Marvel universe of films and so forth and so on. And, you know, Star Wars was also the first film that did merchandising tie-in, and all that came from George Lucas. The studios weren't behind that the way it is now it's really the studios that run those films rather than the vision of a particular director or so right. forth. Now it is then it was George Lucas's vision and behind that.
2: So for like a good period of for the most part for a good period of ten years what you considered independent filmmaking was actually the kind of actually traditional model even used by studios. Essentially where, you know, producers or studio people would give a certain filmmaker money to say you have this amount of money keep it keep the budget to this and you can make whatever you want and deliver that film back to us so that still exists today except that they don't a single person doesn't have the control right but no it nobody exist. has
0: that kind of we give you money in a budget right, it's not basically really the, the right I see a lot I of
2: the artistic freedom of that era or just kind of like the control that certain people had in terms of how the movies are made is not a thing anymore. Like there's there's a lot more input from studios today about how every aspect of a film is made. Right.
0: I mean there's also the confluence of a generation of talents. Woody Allen directed his first film in nineteen sixty nine, Scorsese in seventy, Steven Spielberg in seventy four, George Lucas in seventy one. So you had this whole generation of filmmakers That now, of course, is quite old, but that that all sort of bubbled up together in this one period of time. So that's part of it. There's a fascinating book, which Willie has read, I know, about this called
2: Easy Rider Raging Bulls.
0: Easy Rider Raging Bulls, very good. Which, if you're interested, I know you sometimes want to read more on these topics, John, so that's the book
1: I've mentioned this before on the podcast. One of the best references book references I ever got was from you that pictures at a Revolution. I loved it that right, book. Mark Harris and Huge that covers fan.
0: a slightly earlier period, which was nineteen sixty seven when when you were beginning to see the breakdown or not beginning, but it was sort of the culmination of the breakdown of old Hollywood. yeah
2: it was it was kind of the preamble to what occurred. Like couple. See, years by later. by
0: 1970, there wasn't a, the studio system was in complete disarray, and that's why you had this opening period, this time before the studio system sort of reformed itself around the sort of tentpole franchise films, which is you know, which is the essence of being a movie studio now. Is you have to have these tentpole franchises, and then everything else sort of works around that.
1: So, Will, I have a question for you because I because for for me, when I talk, I am not a nostalgic person. I'm not very sentimental. Actually, I might be sentimental, but I'm not nostalgic. And I have, and when I think about old things like old movies, I might enjoy watching it for some kind of I don't know. There might be some escape attached to it for me. But when I think about the nostalgia and I start getting into like the mindset of old films, I get kind of sad. That's what comes up for me is like sadness. So I'm kinda curious when you're when you're watching these films, what what's the emotion that you're feeling
2: that what what that's tied to the nostalgia? I think there's there's certain movies obviously that I just feel like, oh, this is hokey and there's no emotion involved and just these are how movies used to be made. But I, I feel like for a number of films it's just the emotion involved is in a lot of ways in a lot of these classic movies made it was there's a lot of inspirational stuff in the fact that there were certain restrictions put on films in the eras of the past that they had to, out of sheer ingenuity, work their ways around to tell a story without the film itself being censored or uh, not released the way it was intended. So for me, I've, I always liked old films and films in general because of just the, I feel like, Like, with all art forms, there's a certain level of just, in a way, uninhibited self-expression of a person or uh, whoever it may be, just showing, you know, what you can't uh, express in your your day-to-day life. And I I enjoy that about classic cinema.
1: So there's some of it—so some of it for you is kind of looking at these as historical— documents right. and,
2: from a certain era and, and knowing the context that they in which they were right creating. and I, I because I don't think uh, like any art or any piece of work uh, nothing exists in a vacuum and it's it's a way to get a view into the past a view into what was that era what was that time like for the most part
0: John why do you feel sad when you watch these movies
2: well I mean I'm just not a nostalgic person I mean and for
1: me it's like this is this is you've brought this up before with me I look I'm always looking forward to what's next in the future I'm right, a very but, future I mean I, don't, why, person. But
0: I still don't get the sadness element of
1: it it's something like loss I think it's like probably some I don't know is it t- tied to loss aversion or something I don't know I don't but know. it's this, it's something about things that are gone and over and and it feels it feel, I, I think I'm sad about it I'm like oh, I wish I were still in eighth grade going to the roller derby oh, and I listening see. to disco music. And I wish I still were at so, the theater so, getting nervous about seeing Jaws. And I wish I were. I mean, I, just, I think it's just, I, I think got it's you. just wistful. I got
0: you. Does it apply to films that happened bef- that were originally made before your lifetime or only films that were within your lifespan?
1: Well, my little sister, Julie, was raised with, well, she was the. The first child in our, our six children In our family Who was raised With a video recorder at the, In the house And so she started Watching a lot of old films Because quite frankly My mom liked them We recorded them On VHS tapes And then my little sister Julie would watch them Over and over again So she's a huge Old movie buff herself ah. and, and she's huge She actually. should go to she The Turner to, Classic She knows every Festival. Fred Astaire movie She knows every song Every dance move All She knows everything go. About it She's a huge fan Of old movies I obviously watched most of the movies that I watched with I that she watched, I watched with her, and those all came out way before I was born, you know, the Front of Stair stuff and uh, the other movies like that that she likes. And I have some of the feelings of nostalgia attached to them, but for that that I'm talking about, for me it's all related to remembering being in a certain place in time, seeing the film, remembering the context of how I felt and what I was like mm. at that time and how I... And, and, it, and, and it's
0: kind of sad.
2: It's like, ah, oh, I wish I were back there.
0: Interesting.
2: I understand that feeling of sadness. You know, like, I'm nostalgic about yesterday, so... <laughs>
0: You mean literally yesterday? Yeah, literally You wish yesterday. you were a vaccine bullet again, is what yeah, you're saying. No, well, but- let
1: me ask you this, Will. Why aren't you living in Los Angeles? You're an aspiring
2: filmmaker. It seems like that's the place to be, or is New York the place to be nowadays? No, I, I think L.A. is where the action is still, but I think New York is great in its own right. There's pros and cons about each city, obviously but I, i've I've been on this trip contemplating weather The
0: pro of New York is the fabulous weather in the right winter, no no no. Right.
2: Um, I've been contemplating And a lot of people <laughs> have been telling me about why I should live out here on this coast.
1: I mean I got I got nostalgic for Los Angeles from La La Land. Just s- silly driving around LA shots get, strangely make me nostalgic for parking. Well, park, it is La La, La
0: land dams. is to some extent a love letter to LA Yeah,
2: it is a it's it's, it's called La La Land for a reason. You know, so and a lot of movies are like that, where they're kind of nostalgic for Hollywood in and of itself. They're Hollywood films that are nostalgic about Hollywood. Why did you go to the what's the the observatory? You observatory. went to the conservatory, yeah. And I I'd never been to the observatory.
0: That's also no, observatory.
2: It's observatory or conservatory?
0: Yeah, the Griffith observatory. 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 It's, okay.
2: And you went there. Well, that's also actually the first film to really make that famous, though, John. Just to point out is actually the film the 1955 James Dean film Rebel Without a Cause.
1: Oh, I didn't know that was in there. I drove on a motorcycle at the curve where on the road where he crashed and died. I rode a motorcycle from San Francisco down to Joshua Tree National Park with a friend and we took that highway.
2: I thought he was in we stopped Texas. At the no, bar. He uh he wasn't in Texas. It was I it's, think it was I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there.
0: Okay. So it was in yeah, California. They filmed giant but he was I thought it was he was fi- I thought he was filming the movie he Giant. He filmed the film Giant, but
2: Giant was set in Texas, but it was actually filmed in California, in Northern California.
0: Oh, okay. See, that's I I learned something new.
2: I love it. I love when your son can school you.
0: He does it all the time, my friend.
2: So after, at, literally the about a couple of days after finishing Giant is when he uh, died. He finished filming Giant like right. the fall right. of yeah, 55. It was just,
0: yeah, he had just finished filming Giant.
2: Yeah, he drove into a big tree. There's like
1: no trees there. There's one tree where he drove into it. The rest of it's a bunch of fields. No, he didn't drive into a tree. He he crashed into another car. <laughs> oh, he did. Oh, <laughs> okay. Then I got it wrong. It's there's a bar there. You can pull over and they have and they say this is the tree or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's right. It's a crossroads or something, right?
0: Yeah, Highway 46 near Paso Robles, according to this information. Yeah,
2: it's essentially he basically uh, was going. He was definitely not going no. slow, yeah, yeah. to say the least.
0: Live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse.
2: <laughs> so, Will, what's your favorite movie? Old movie, not new movie. That's always a tough question. Favorite, it, like, I think. Well, give me a couple. Yeah, it's, like as someone said, it's probably the best movie. Uh, the favorite movie is the last one you saw. Uh, was actually a good answer that I like, I like but there's that. a number of like
0: uh, the last movie I saw. I saw a movie yesterday that is not my favorite movie. Okay, so
2: are I answering that. the question, or are we we giving it back? to I'm you? You're just, answering.
0: I, you know, I do. I'm allowed to speak on this podcast.
2: Oh, right, <laughs> it is your show after all. Okay,
0: <laughs> answer the question. Okay, okay. I was I was
2: letting you talk. You know, uh,
0: <laughs> that's not the way this um, podcast works. You're supposed to be rude and interrupt <laughs> me. That's uh, so there's a number I'd like it. Yes, rudeness is good
2: I think Double Indemnity is one of my favorite movies of all time
0: Oh, 1944 Yes Will and I saw that Didn't we see that together in the is movie? Is that Hitchcock? Yeah, we saw no, that. it's a Billy Wilder It's based Billy on Wilder. a James M. Kame novel Billy Wilder wrote the screenplay With the great uh, noir novelist Raymond Chandler it stars Frederick McMurray and uh, Barbara Stanwyck And Edward G. Robinson yeah, and
2: I I think I love film noir, but you know that's a genre I do like. But that's one of my favorite. I also love Billy Wilder, so it's kind of crazy that I did pass up seeing Sunset Boulevard. But that's also a great film that I. But enjoy. you've seen
0: it in the theater already. But
2: um, you know, Double Indemnity is one of my favorite movies. I I love The Third Man. Oh yeah, me too. Another.
0: Ooh, nineteen fifty, Carol Reed directed. Joseph Cotton, Orson Welles.
1: That's a great one. I love it. Screenplay Screen by Graham Greene. My mother always talks about how she loved the music. She goes, oh, and when, right. whenever it we watch it, I zither. watch it with her. She's zither. like, the music was so
0: big. Anton Karras, I believe, is, but played the Zither for that. Set in post-war Vienna, of course.
2: The 39 Steps by Hitchcock. Those That's early fantastic. Hitchcocks for me. Oh. Those 30s Hitchcocks are kind of like my favorite era Hitchcock.
0: Do you like The 39 Steps more than The Lady Vanishes? Yeah,
2: I I just like The 39 Steps. I think it's just like I
0: like The 39 Steps. I think The Lady Vanishes better, but
2: I think it's just a perfectly like constructed movie.
0: It is a very well constructed film. There is there was, I don't know if it's still playing, but there was a stage show in New York called The 39 Steps, which was essentially a tongue-in-cheek recreation of that story with references to other Hitchcock films thrown in which was quite charming and quite entertaining. I don't know if it's still playing. It was an off-Broadway thing, but uh, it was very charming.
2: Yeah, no, but I uh, I just enjoy the uh, Robert Donat who's the um, main actor in the film and Madeline yeah, Carroll, who's The actor. female lead. It's just that that relationship is fun to watch. That the, it's just it's the setup to the whole kind of what Hitchcock became known for,
0: right? It, it had that sort of screwball comedy relationship of the antagonism right. slash, you know, the fl- the fight flirting of right. the two leads that is typical, like from *His Girl Friday*, yeah. for example.
2: Um, it's uh, it's one of his fun ones, in my opinion, and it's just I think very well done. Will, do you have anywhere that your work is showing? Not uh, currently I'm trying to write some I'm trying to write some stuff, but uh, I, I can post it on YouTube. Do you have stuff on
1: the web or do you have like a list of movies? can we to post be seen? on our
0: website will did a little film about a trip we took last summer he and John and Fiona and I and uh, you did a little film Fiona, about Fiona his it, wife
2: John is his brother. That's right
0: right. All former podcast guests.
2: Very incestual on this podcast, I must say.
0: Can you figure out how to post that? We can post that on our website.
2: Easily. I'm Easily. in the process of working on doing that, to putting it in a format so that you guys can like uh, show it to the right, tens well, don't of take people a year that watch to do it. Let's and listen to this can podcast. Can we post <laughs> it
0: with by the next <laughs> That's your father speaking. <laughs> so that we That's can get it off... This podcast drops in ten days. Can we get it on the website when the podcast? I think drops? so.
1: I
2: think we could figure that out. That'd be great. So, what's the weather been like in LA been, since you've been there? Uh, glorious, seventy degrees <laughs> during the day, sunny with a breeze that feels like God Himself is just blowing beautiful air on me. Uh, I mean, uh, the weather out here wow. has been fan- is just fantastic.
0: It's shocking to hear that, because it's usually I've, not good out This it. is actually, today <laughs> seems like it's been the most
2: overcast it's been since I've been here.
0: Dude, it's only 7 o'clock in the morning there. That's
2: true. Yeah, the marine
1: layer burns off by about 11 a.m., and it'll be another perfect day.
0: But you're going to be inside watching movies most of the day anyway, so.
1: Nice. So where are you, are you, eat, what fast food
2: are you eating? Are you eating In-N-Out? I'm try either to get to Fat Burger. I haven't been to Fat Burger since I've been
0: here. Love Fat Burger.
2: Does Baja Fresh still exist out there? Baja Fresh is out there.
0: They have Baja Fresh everywhere, John. Maybe not in Shanghai. no. They they
1: closed in Chicago. I believe they all closed. I think they all closed in Chicago. I don't know well, why. It's a tragedy. And there's is. not one in Shanghai. There is. Are you a in big Shanghai, Baja Fresh? Fan a Carl's like? I mean, Junior. I'm a oh, big Baja Fresh fan. I
0: did not know that. I like I it more than I
1: like it more than Chipotle. It. Yeah, I like
0: yeah. it a lot. I was. I a think you're a minority opinion there, my friend.
2: Oh, is that true? Chipotle, well, Chipotle
0: is, seems to be thriving. Does Baja, Baja Fresh
2: exist Fresh. in New York? I don't know of any Baja Fresh in New York City. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's it's pretty limited. They had a
1: few of them in Chicago, and then they closed. With good they reason. They don't
0: have them. It's not big. Well, you may be right. I'm not a, a Baja Fresh.
1: Carl's Jr., however, is in Shanghai, China. They're actually building the
2: first Carl's Jr. in New York City right now.
1: Yeah. He's that, that guy who was the former CEO is riding on his high of having made those incredibly sexist remarks and made those commercials that got him all that attention in the media, and he's parlaying the it commercials into Commercials uh, are still more sales. out
0: there. We should probably wrap up. Willie needs to go see a bunch of movies. I might actually go see a couple of movies myself today. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Will. Thank you for getting up so yeah, early thanks, in the Will. morning in LA. I'm sorry. Yeah, that thanks
2: that I for I getting sound up like early, Edward G. Robinson, after a laryngectomy. But
0: you sound fine. It's too bad Peg no, wasn't here because we, like we the would the have spent will. the whole hour talking about famous people that you almost. Yeah, met it would have
2: been quasi have celebrities that no one would have heard of, except for me, of course.
0: You would have talked about if you had ever. If you do run into David Tennant, Peg will be your new best friend because she loves right, David and Tennant. I, yeah, get a I selfie. Feel like
2: a, there's a lot of people who know who Doctor Who is and might be excited, but I think for the majority of people, people would be like, "Who the f- hell is David Tennant?" You can say fuck on this, Yeah, who spot. the fuck is David Tennant? I think most people. Yeah. no, pe- br- people
1: around, most people, Doctor Who's the guy, but David Tennant's famous in theater circles,
0: too. No, I would say, I,
2: I would say people know who he is. I but don't know his theater world. I would say...
0: I know him from broad church, mostly.
2: I would say, like, majority of people would not be like, oh, know him by name.
0: So even when Peg is not here, we can't stop talking about the Peg stuff, which is David Tennant. Thank you, Will. Thanks, everyone. Thank
1: you for having me. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.